Hello and welcome to the Demystifying Media Podcast. I'm Damien Radcliffe, the Carolyn S. Chambers Professor of Journalism at the University of Oregon, and today I'm joined by Jason Wamsgans, a Pulitzer Prize-winning photographer at the Chicago Tribune and a 2018 journalist-in-residence here at the University of Oregon, and I'm also joined by my colleague Torsten Kellerstrand, Professor of Practice and esteemed photographer himself, also here at the University of Oregon. Jason and Torsten, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Jason, let's uh, start at the beginning, if we, if we may. What first turned you on to photography? Uh, there was a magic to it. I was probably, I was probably eight, nine, ten years old. I, was, I began playing with cameras. I was always an artistic uh, kid, drawing, painting. Um, in the summers, uh, my mom would buy my sister and I uh, super, rolls of Super 8 film. We'd make little films, and it's just something I've always done. Um, at the same time, I've always enjoyed, you know, I was, I was a very uh, quiet kid and I would just observe things and think about people. My, my mom would take us to the mall and I would just stand there and observe people and kind of uh, make up little narratives about what they might be doing or thinking. It's just something I've always done. And was there a point in your life where you decided you wanted to be a, ph- a photographer? I think I always kind of was a photographer. Uh, there was never, a, I mean, it was much later until I thought this, this might be something I could do to make money. Um, I was interested in, I studied art. I studied, I was interested in filmmaking. And um, I reached a point kind of at the end of college where I thought, oh, I'll give this a shot. Okay. And, and obviously you talked about doing kind of super eight film and kind of doing not just still images but but moving images and we've seen a lot of photographers develop that skill set is that part of the natural evolution that you're seeing of your trade that people are needing to bring those different elements in into play or does it just give you a different side to the experience and the opportunity to express the stories that you want to tell you know, there's definitely when there's opportunities to utilize other disciplines to, to marry them with um, a still photograph, it can be very powerful. Um, you know, beautiful sound mixed with photographs, I think, are just a, a very powerful combination. The economic reality these days, um, video is not optional. It's something that a still photographer is in, in my experience, is absolutely required to do, and it can be it can be not easy to switch back and forth um, at the same time. But like I said, it's 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 just the way things are now. Can you talk a little bit about that translation? Like, what are the differences in the medium that make that difficult or not difficult for the different disciplines to um, to communicate effectively? They kind of rely on different different ways of interacting with the subject, different ways you're observing different, different parts of a situation and you're thinking different as you're trying to gather those. And it it can be jarring to try and switch back and forth. And for me personally, it feels like, um, you know, I I know that uh, still photographs are my most articulate voice and that voice is compromised a little bit when I'm, oh, I need to get video too. And, and do, you, do you separate and delineate between those, those tasks? So you'll go to an event or an occasion very much with the intention of just doing still or just doing video, or will you potentially flip between the two? Um, what I found works the best for me is um, I'm going to concentrate on the stills unless, of course, there's something that just presents itself that is overwhelmingly appropriate for video. But I'm generally going to concentrate on the stills and then 
try and come up with a almost a conceptual solution that I can backtrack and apply video after the fact to kind of enrich the stills and provide some kind of almost a conceptual arc that will tie everything together. Gotcha. Well, that makes sense. Is that, and Torsten, is that you work in a similar kind of way? Um, when I worked for a newspaper, I did a very similar thing. I would I'd focus on the stills because um, Jason said that's his most articulate voice. I think that that really rings true for me as well. And and stills are so fragile that if you don't, if that isn't what you're doing, they fall apart. And a video, un, un, that the new newspapers that I worked for, the, the standard for video was pretty low. So you could kick out a, uh, an okay video. Um, when I make films, I do not try to also do stills, like doing doing something that's good enough to make a film and then occasionally doing it. I, I, I'm just not smart enough to do both of those at once. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. One thing, though, I, I have noticed just recently, just in the last like maybe two years, some of the younger photographers that are coming onto our staff at the Tribune are the first photojournalists I've seen who are pretty adept at doing both. And it's really interesting to me that their working process, their minds, um, you know, they haven't been conditioned the way mine was where, you know, I'm continuously seeing everything. My eyes are blinking at 250th of a second when I don't have a camera. They're able to make that transition a lot easier than than I'm able to. And I find that to be very interesting. Is that one of the biggest changes that you've seen during your, your time in the industry? I mean, the, I guess the other kind of two kind of obvious big stories that, that play, one is the kind of decimation of the newspaper industry that we've seen over the last two decades, 20,000 jobs disappearing. And then of course, the digitization of photography, which for, for a lot of people has, has changed the way in which they work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so I've been at the Chicago Trib- Tribune 15 years and the change has just been very profound um, in ways that I think are unique to a paper that size. Um, and I'm, we're still fortunate. We still have a, a fairly big photo department, and I, so that, that allows me a lot of time to pursue these longer stories. Um, you know, but in that, in that 15 years, yeah, we were doing digital. I was still shooting film for maybe the first four or five of those years um, for special projects for, you know, the Tribune Sunday magazine or something like that. Um, You know, the resources they had back then were mind-boggling. Opportunities for travel, telling international stories, that's that's been gone for a long time. Um, But the, the, the digital pressures and the acceleration of the digital pressures are pretty unrelenting. They want pictures before they happen. They want video from every story before it happens, and uh, it, it can be uh, it, it can be pretty intense. Okay, so so given what you were just saying about how the the landscape is is changing, what are the advice that you would give for for our students and, and for listeners in terms of things that they should be considering as they perhaps move into this this profession? You have to, on one hand, you have to be able to just diversify your skills to such a extreme <laughs> that it, it's, uh, it's tricky, you know. So I have to be prepared to shoot video every day. I'm, I'm prepared to record high-quality audio every day. 
I'm prepared to light portraiture. I'm prepared to shoot lit, uh, light a video shoot. Um, you know, I carry a bag for these crime scenes. I photograph a lot of food, so I have macro lenses and reflectors and extension tubes. So technically, there's a lot of things, but um, I have to I have to be able to switch gears between all those disciplines in my head too. Um, you know, there's a difference between photographing a homicide scene and making a portrait of a CEO. Um, so you have to be able to juggle those kinds of things. And in the face of that, you need to be able to focus on the essentials of storytelling and, you know, to be able to quickly get somebody's trust and quickly tell their story while you're juggling all these uh, external variables, you know, remain, uh, have a good grip on like the essential storytelling skills. And do you think those essential storytelling skills are constant? Yeah, they'll, they'll, they shouldn't change. They'll never change. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what are the fundamentals of it? One of the things that's been, I think, striking to those of us who've heard, heard you talk these last couple of days here at the uh, School of Journalism and Communication is is kind of the depth of your reporting. You know, what are relationships? And, and, and the is, way you've developed that trust with, with, with subjects in highly, highly personal moments to get these really intimate portraits and, and stories and... Uh, I think understanding that process sure. is in- incredibly valuable for yeah. us. I mean, the the first and most basic thing is um, just approaching people in a, in a in a confident but respectful manner. You know, oftentimes I'm certain that this is going to be the you know the worst moment of a person's life. I'm approaching them, so just being respectful. Not not cocky, not arrogant, but just respectful and um, exuding just a calm vibe is an important thing. Um, it's a, it's a very important to to make my intentions v- clear in a very direct way. Why why I'm interested in this? What's expected of them? You know, like this is the newspaper. Like like uh, if we talk, if you talk to me, this will be in the newspaper. So. I just want to have everything be up front so there's no weird feeling and um and never be timid that's that's maybe the most important part of this is you know if you project uh fear or uneasiness subconsciously that's insulting to that person and that make that gives them reason to think oh like this transaction gives me reason that this person shouldn't be afraid of me um you know so just put the person at ease and be honest. That's that's the basis for everything. And given that we are operating in a in a news climate where fake news is, and criticism of the mainstream media is, is all the rage, is that something that you have seen permeating into the communities that that you're working with? Has your dynamic with them changed over the course of the last year to eighteen months? You know these these neighborhoods are so isolated economically and their access to technology and ideas and um, the media is, it's a bit of an abstraction. I think in a lot of these neighborhoods, I know the Chicago, the idea of the Chicago Tribune has definitely become an abstraction to vast swaths of the city. People know what a newspaper even is in some places, you know, and there, is there any delineation between the Chicago Tribune and the Chicago police department and to some people's minds? Um, so in a way, it's a bit 
you know, it just, it just comes back to the way I approach someone and the way that I interact with them and the, you know, the, the respect that I show them, you know, that's what it's going to, the basis of um, our interaction is going to come to. And, and I know when we were, we were talking earlier, there were some important questions around kind of motivation and the value and importance of, this, of the stories that you're doing. Torsten, I know you wanted to ask a bit about that. Well, I, I, at the risk of being rude, I think the basic question is, why do you do this? You know, what, what do you hope comes from it? And what do you hope your community comes from it? But really. Yeah, well, you know, living in Chicago and being a journalist in Chicago and looking at these issues, these profoundly complicated issues that have, you know, that they're built of um, policy and legislation and things that have taken place over 50, 60, 70 years, um, these huge forces at, at work in these people's lives, um, I wouldn't be naive enough to believe that some photographs and some words in, in any, any way could change or, or affect the, those powers. Um, but the ability to find one person and share their experience with this other group of people that make up the other side of the city of Chicago that's that's the power of photography for me to be able to place someone in another person's shoes and give them the possibility to empathize with that person's plight that's that's to me the point of of doing this work and do you have any indications of how well that's working what is the feedback from the community that you know about i mean the the, the best way i can gauge that i mean is you know letters emails responses from the readers, responses from the people we cover, you know, that's, that's extremely important is that, um, we tell these stories in a way that is, is absolutely true to the communities that we're covering. That's a huge responsibility. Um, and it's always, um, extremely gratifying to hear from, you know, readers who live in essentially a different world who say, you know, thank you so much for showing us, um, that this even exists. Given given that that there isn't that kind of relationship with, with media, and that you're often a lot of your work is about kind of giving a voice to the voiceless and kind of shining a light on these these communities that uh, have arguably been been overlooked by by media, by politicians, and, and so forth. What are some of the biggest misconceptions about those communities that 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 many people might have? I'm thinking particularly against. You know the, the kind of political climate where arguably the situation around uh, gun violence and gun crime in Chicago has been heavily politicized over the course of the last couple of years. Yeah, it's 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 not it's not fair to to make to politicize these um, these issues because they're they're entirely complicated, profoundly complicated things going over many generations. This endemic poverty and segregation. You know, it's it's just it's just not fair to the people who are caught living in that and. A lot of times, the dialogue infers uh, blame on the people who are stuck or caught in this in this cycle. Um, I don't. That doesn't seem fair to me. Um, and then, one of the questions we had from 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 uh, several of our students was around some the ethics of some of the work that you're doing. You've already touched about on the importance of of building trust and of that kind of that honesty. Uh, but are, you, are there also times where you've said, actually, this is a story I I won't cover, or this is a photograph I've I've taken and I'm I'm not going to submit. Other times when you put down the camera because actually that feels inappropriate. Sure, um, you know almost every situation is entirely different, so um, there's a lot of 
rapid calculation just continuously going on in my head and between myself and uh, Peter Nikias, the reporter that I work with um, in these situations. And, you know, I'm continuously making making these calculations about, okay, is there, is there, an, is there a benefit to people seeing this picture? Is there something, is it, pre, is it presenting something new? Is it presenting something in a different way, a different facet of this, this issue? Um, or is it simply reinforcing an existing stereotype? So, you know, another concern is if I raise the camera to my eye and take this picture, is this going to, uh, in- increase the suffering of someone? Is this going to inflame the crowd? Um, is this going to endanger the police? Is this going to endanger someone else? Is this going to endanger myself? Um, so that's a lot of rapid fire calculations based on all these variables in a, in a potentially chaotic situation. So there are times where if I think I can make a picture without upsetting people, I'll take it if I'm not sure about it and we can consider later um, the usefulness of it. Are there any examples that you can can think of? Where that's been the case? I mean, yeah, there's been lots of pictures. Like, I mean, it's <laughs> we shoot a lot of, we go to a lot of scenes in a night. Um, if I have a sense that um, when we're in these scenes, Pete and I are communicating continuously, um, you know, in non-spoken ways and just whispering things back and forth, you know, uh, pointing things out, um, suggesting possible subjects, suggesting possible narratives that we might de- derive from one of these scenes. Um, and if I, I feel like if I'm confident that he's getting a lot of information and I can see that he's like his wheels are turning and he's going to be doing a lot of writing, I'll take more pictures because I know that the cumulative effect of this package might be worth presenting some upsetting pictures. Um, I don't want to take pictures that are just upsetting for the sake of being upsetting. Um, I think our I think our reporting has gone past that port that point into a, a, a more nuanced uh, terrain. But at the same time, do you think, is, is there an argument to say that we've become a bit more desensitized as a society and that to that, that we sometimes need to shock our audience into realizing the realities well, for many? Yeah, so sometimes there, there's a need for that. At the genesis of this project, um, four years ago, five years ago, um, that was one of our intents, was to show the other side of this divided city what this reality looks like in the streets, mothers in the streets with their, their sons covered under a blanket. Um, we wanted to portray this in a, in a, in a, in a real, true, visceral way. Um, and I think we, effect, we effectively did that. Um, but then after the second year, I felt we need to move on and, and show this in more subtle ways and explore all the different facets of how this ripples through a community and tears it apart and touches everyone. And you've you've touched on some of your responsibilities to that community and the kind of need for acting with due care for the subjects that you are, are photographing. Um, some of the things you've described, I mean, I've just had hairs gone up on the back of my neck just when you just described that that scene just just now. How do you look after yourself in these situations? It's it's difficult. Um, you know, it's for me the way I work and the way I the way I see. Um, as necessary to um, carry out the responsibility of doing this work, you can't be a passive observer. You have to ab- absorb a bit of this these feelings. If I'm going to translate them photographically back through my camera, I have to I have to take these these things on. Um, 
so it's difficult. It has a cumulative effect. So generally I try and have um, different projects that I'm working on photographically is to kind you know, maybe a therapeutic uh, process. I photograph a lot of food at the Tribune. Um, I've done a bit of nature photography is just a, a therapeutic endeavor. Um, I, uh, my family looks out for me, uh, but it's it's a constant struggle. And, and Tilston, what have been some of the um, key things you've taken away from Jason's time? He's been on campus with us for for a couple of days. We've been incredibly fortunate to have so much of his time. And um, what have been some of the things that you and the students you think have really taken away from Jason's experience? Well, I, th- I think there, there are a couple of things that come to mind. One is that I think our everybody who has seen the photographs and heard Jason talk, including the folks over at the College of Ed, got out of it what I think Jason hopes that the readers of the newspaper get out of it, which is a, a sense of kind of the complicated complexity of this issue and also the realness of it, that it is not abstract, but there are human beings who are connected <laughs> to each other and to this this abstraction of gun violence in Chicago. And then the second, I think, is people have, I, what I've heard students tell me is if kind of in between and around is they're amazed at what I what I asked about earlier the the kind of the depth of the reporting the the amount of time it takes before you get to the clicking of a shutter that and I think this is something that, that all photographers who do work that is deep get to at some point where the the actual making of the pictures that that's like the period at the end of the sentence, or that's the that's the little flash of joy you get. No, absolutely. Um, you know, encompassed in that time that we spend is developing our understanding of the situation, developing the trust of the people whose story we're telling. Um, I mean, it's absolutely critical. And I think it's one of the things that is really important. I mean, that, and. Uh, just to be very blunt about it, I think we need, in a school of journalism, we need to say things like this. If your goal was to photograph dead people in Chicago, you could do that fairly easily with a scanner. If your goal is to help elevate a level of understanding about what is behind those horrific events, then you have to go about it the way Jason and Peter go about it. And I... I Sometimes I struggle as a teacher to make that clear, especially in a 10-week term, where on one hand we're asking people, students, to do great work, and on the other hand we're saying, yeah, but there's – in that sense, it's like newspaper work, right? You know, like, hey, go go do this profound work, and could you have it by 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon? Can, can you well, talk I mean, a little bit about that? That is a reality of the situation. I mean, for me, I'm conscious of the, the idea that it feels like translation, this job is translation. I'm translating the experience of one one community in a way that can be felt by a different community. Sometimes it has to be translated through the newspaper. I mean, that's that's the format. So we have to make that negotiation. So as much, it, so the conversation is as pure from start to finish. Um, but yeah, this, they they need to. We're producing content at the same time that needs to be published in a timely fashion to keep keep this machinery running. So, 
it's some can sometimes be tricky to to juggle this balance um and you mentioned you you've this this project now is is five years old um the issues that you're covering aren't going away any any time soon so how do you see this project evolving and kind of where's what's the next kind of arc for you professionally well for this project you know the last two and a half three years we've been really interested in just we're always on the lookout no matter what we're reporting on we're always scanning the periphery for solutions people that have a viable solution and um if we can present that and put that is put that forward um as yeah this is happening but look people are trying are actually accomplishing something on this and um i mean just just working on those stories for me that kind of uh soothes this you can be overwhelmed by the enormity of the situation and the hopelessness of it so that in a way allows it heals us and allows us to keep going in the reporting yeah can i push on that a little bit you 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 showed a series of photos of of street parties and and in one part of your presentation you talk about how that the one of the dangers in focusing on this violence is that that defines whole communities by the activity of a very small number of people in that community, mm-hmm. and do you have, you have thoughts about how you might? Yeah, it, it's difficult. Um, you know, as, as the newspaper has, as our coverage has kind of atrophied over the years, our news holes kind of changed. A lot of just neighborhood, normal, everyday stories from all parts of our coverage has has really deteriorated um so you know there's i there's a huge need to just tell everyday normal stories from these communities um and it's tricky because we're tooled right now to be telling these other stories so it's it's important to try and find more of a more of a balance Great. Okay. Well, uh, I'm conscious that we could talk all day, but there are many other demands on your time whilst you're here. So it just remains for me to thank uh, my guests, Jason Wamgams and Torsten Kellerstrand for the, joining us today. You'll be able to see Jason's video and other materials from his time here at the University of Oregon on our website, which is demystifying.uoregon.edu. That's demystifying.uoregon.edu. And uh, in the meantime, uh, thanks once again for listening. We'll see you next time.